For we all have become like one who is ceremonially unclean, like a leaper, and all of our deeds of righteousness are like filthy rags. We all wither and decay like a leaf, and our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing, like the wind takes us away, carrying us far from God's favor towards destruction. Now, I know that's a very harsh scripture. Right, very. <laughs> that's a that's a very harsh scripture, right? But the reality is, we gotta keep that in mind. That that's how God could look at us when we get arrogant, we get full of ourselves, and that's the reason why I, I believe wholeheartedly Jesus was laughing when he was sneering at Jesus because of their love of money. Welcome to the Truth of the Matter Is podcast. This is episode number 42. I'm your host, Daniel, and I'm here with Jonathan. First off, let us begin by recognizing and appreciating all of our new and consistent listeners. We thank you all in advance for continuing to press play at your own convenience. This is episode number 42, and it's about planning and managing. So to see what kind of plans and preparations we have for this week, we go to the man himself. Jonathan, how's it going? I'm doing all right, you know. It's going. Making preparations to make a change, possibly. Not sure as of yet, but I'm planning and managing and weighing out my options. Okay. So for the topic for today, as I mentioned earlier, planning and management. So it'll be interesting to see how this topic's relatable to the scriptures. That's what you're doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it falls right in context, you know. The truth of the matter is podcasts exist to give real life examples and actual scenarios of how to actually apply the scripture to help us in real time. So you know, those who tune in, please listen up, and I promise you'll learn something today, for sure. Okay, so how about some prayer? Before I get into that, I just have a question that I want to ask you. And sure. Please on- answer it honestly. As you look at yourself today, and you had a plan in your youth, do you look at yourself today and say this is where you want to be or where you thought you would be? No. And here was the funny thing about if you, since you want to use you, I'll say just being a kid because that's a, that's a less formal way of saying that, I suppose. I didn't really have a particular plan. For when I grew up, I didn't have like a real particular passion for any one thing in particular. And I had a lot of uh, other people's plans kind of tossed on me. Like uh, my father wanted me to be a federal court judge. Yeah. And then, yeah, supposed to be a federal court judge. And then when I was trying to decide what I was going to do when I was in high school, 
And it was a real big, it was a real big thing that I started to think about more heavy around my junior year. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I'm 17 and I don't know what I want to do. And then I remember um, the day walking home on the last day of school. Um, for me, it was a Thursday. I'll never forget it. I was like, man, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. I don't really know what's going on with the whole college thing. I know that I was applied to the school by the guidance counselor in terms of what I'm going to do for a career, right? Uh-huh. And, you know, I, was, I remember I spoke to our father again. And then he was saying something about going into journalism because I'm good at talking. So I was like, okay, so what in journalism could I do? And I was like, okay, maybe I could be a sports broadcaster. I mean, I already like making commentaries as it is. So that's probably something I can do. I'm a pretty articulate guy. And then I was like, well, what sport would I do it for? It was probably boxing. And I thought I was going to be a boxer for a while. And then that didn't really fall through too well because we couldn't find any real good coaches in the area. So that was the thing. And I was like, well, the, the school thing is cool. I'm already on the honor roll and stuff, but I don't really have a particular passion to do this professionally. I can't see myself at a a fight event or maybe even um, some other type of sport, casting an event. I don't really see myself doing that. So I went through the trial and error like most other people, I would say. And then later on the line, I was trying to think, well, the main thing I want to do is I kind of just want to make money. Huh. I was like, maybe I could go to school or something for business. And then when I really started thinking about it, I was like, the main thing I've always had a, a good passion for was like, always like sitting down watching uh, HDTV and looking at the different houses and stuff. So I was like, I think it would be pretty cool to build houses one day. And I was like, I think that would be um my purpose in life is to build houses. So, so you're talking about construction or you're talking about those who create the designs for the construction? The designs. Oh, okay. like coming up with the plans, thinking okay. about how the, the how the floor plan is laid out, you know, because I always thought looking at certain shows, I was like, OK, well, this wall doesn't really need to be here or the layout of this particular house that we saw is kind of weird. It takes me back to. Um, I don't even know if you will remember this, but um, I was eight years old. And we went to go see a house out in Jersey, uh, me and our father. And I remember going um, with him to go look at the houses and then looking at the floor plans and stuff. And then when we went up to Newburgh upstate a little bit later, I think it was like 11 or 13, either one of those ages. And then we was looking at the houses up there. Houses were terrible. But, um, yeah, I always would sit there and look at it and it was like, I would love if I could either design the floor plans for this or if I can be the person who kind of calls the shots and directs how the whole thing goes. So like a project manager. So when I got out of my head of what everybody else wanted me to do and I had some time to sit there and think about things that I actually enjoyed and like, that's when I was like, okay, I think that's what I'm going to go out in the world and try to do. So it wasn't until much later that I discovered what I what I'm think I'm here for. Okay. All right. Let's see what, you, what you're saying. How's that for an honest answer? Yeah, it is an honest answer. You elaborated. You were clear. You know. Mm-hmm. Unlike some people, when you ask questions, they they dance around. You know, like Freddie. Well, I felt like most people <laughs> when they do that, it's because they don't know, but they're scared to say they don't know. <sighs> but that's okay too. You know, yeah. it's okay not to know. 
Yeah. But mm-hmm. I want to I want to say one last thing too, because um that kind of question I know has a big impact on people, especially in their like late teens and early twenties. Mm-hmm. Sometimes all the way up to their thirties. For some people, is it's a lifelong thing. Um, you're never gonna start getting out of that phase until you start doing things. When you really sit down and start asking yourself the big questions and put in the action behind it. It's okay to come up with theories all day, but until you start putting the action behind it, you will stay stuck in that loop. But, of course, everybody tells you not to compare yourself to other people. That is a real thing. It is the thing that probably most people have done or are going to do. That is perfectly normal because a lot of people find out who they are by copying others first. You know, we have a... a, a scene in gaming when you don't know do as the old heads do which is just pretty much play the game the way the professionals do and then branch out and make your own style from there so that's all i have to say about that all right thanks for the answer the much detailed clear answer i appreciate that so let's get started with prayer so heavenly father in the name of jesus first off the truth of the matter is family thanks you for all of what you've done for each and every one of us today, individually and as a whole. As we join as one to unpack your word, for those who are in need, we ask that you provide, because that's who you are, a provider. You're also a lover, a comforter, a light, a guide, the life, again, the life, and wisdom itself. Now, for those who are experiencing stress and and uncertainty, we ask that you provide calmness. Why? Because in your word, it says in the book of first Peter, chapter five, verse six to seven, that we should, meaning individually, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, set aside self-righteousness, pride, so that he, which is God, may exalt us to a place of honor in his service. At the appropriate time, casting all our cares or our anxieties all our worries and all our concerns once and for all on him for he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully therefore with that said the truth of the matter is family praise that god can show up for whoever may need it in that very way lord as we discuss planning and managing today we ask that all eyes are open all ears are listening all hearts are receiving and all minds are understanding how your word is a guide and if we are willingly going to listen we hope that most of us can apply your word and it will be proven yet again as a light and a fresh breath of new air and a new life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, before we go into the text for today, I believe it's important to lay down some groundwork first. And that is to really understand the importance of planning and managing. So I'm going to take a more strategic educational approach first, right? Then we're going to get into the word. And you're going to see why I'm doing that. So planning allows us to evaluate the possible from the impossible. 
where we currently are to ultimately where we want to be. And when we plan, it makes the things we aspire to one day have turn into dreams. Those dreams allow us to hope. Once we have hope, then there's a possibility of occurrence. And what follows is a sense of reality. That reality is, is it possible or is it impossible? Which is exactly how we started. So again, if you're following me, I'll say this one more time. Planning allows us to evaluate the possible from the impossible. Where we currently are to ultimately where we want to be. When we plan, it makes the things we aspire to one day have turn into dreams. Those dreams allow us to hope. And once we have hope, what follows is a sense of reality. And that reality is, is it possible or is it impossible? Whatever that task may be. Can the occurrence actually happen? That's usually what we say to ourselves. Right? Now, when planning, there are usually there are usually things that we do to help. One of those things is we create an outline, which is a future course of acting in order to achieve an objective. I'll say that one more time. When planning, usually we create an outline, which is a future course of action in order to achieve the objective. With planning, we're always looking ahead. We're always asking ourselves, in what ways can we prepare? And finally, there's the day-to-day. What about tomorrow's outlook? Some people incorporate lists. Others utilize calendars. You can't go wrong with either one. Now, managing. I know some people get these two mixed up, but I'm about to show you the difference between the two. Managing is holding the whole thing together and making it happen. You plan something out? Yes. And you had an idea or two? Yes. And now you need to figure out how. So you ask yourself, how can I execute it to its full potential to benefit myself? So here's an example of planning and then managing, right? So I'll give you an example before we get into the word. So let's say your goal is to prioritize your health. So, of course, I would believe that one has a plan of action, like eating right, making sure they're sleeping eight to ten hours a day, right? That's your plan. Now you have to ask yourself, how could I manage that? So one way would be to use portion containers. If it doesn't fit, then I'm not eating it, right? I am now managing my eating habits. Another way is eating plenty of vegetables and making sure that is what you consume more than the unhealthy carbs like rice, pasta, right? Some of those things are full of sugar. Another way of managing is making sure you have plenty of fruits, right? Make sure that fruits are in your house. No junk food like chips, cookies, those sorts of things. No sodas, but instead you have plenty of water. That's managing and allowing the plan of your goal which is, as we stated over, you're prioritizing your health. So if you're prioritizing your health, then there's only one way for that to actually happen. 
you have to manage your eating habits and you have to manage your sleeping habits. Okay? Now, how do you get 8 to 10 hours of sleep, right? If that's your plan, you manage it. How do you manage it? Maybe you don't eat so late going to bed, right? Maybe you have to cut out the TV after a certain hour. Maybe you read a book or you're reading a book before bed. Maybe you have to resort to medication use to help you sleep, right? Everyone's different. But management is sticking with your plan. And again, like I said earlier, making the plan happy, hoping it, hope, holding it all together, right? You're holding it all together and making it work within reason, right? It's all about execution. You know yourself. Therefore, you have to hold yourself accountable. Now, before I move on, is there anything you would like to add, Daniel? Not just yet. I feel like a, a part be more appropriate later. Okay, so that's a very strategic layout of a plan. And then it's, how do I manage this? How do I go about this? Now that I've laid the groundwork, let's go to the text. So we are looking at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 18. And we will be looking at this in two translations for today, for several reasons, which we will get into in just a second, in just a little bit. The two versions that we're going to be looking at today is the Amplified and the Message Bible. Depending on the translations, the parable is titled differently. Some translations, they're saying the dishonest manager, the shrewd manager, the unjust steward manager, the crooked manager, the unrighteous manager. Daniel, take it away and read the Amplified Version, and we will break it down using the Message Bible. Now Jesus was also saying to the disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a manager of his estate. And accusations against this man were brought to him that this man was squandering his master's possessions. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management of my affairs, for you can no longer be my manager. The manager of the estate said to him, Self, what will I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig for a living, and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I would do so that when I am removed from the management, people who are my master's debtors will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned his master's debtors one by one, and he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of olive oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. 
Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master condemned the unjust manager, not for his misdeeds, but because he had acted truly by preparing for his future unemployment. For the sons of this age, the non-believers are shrewder in relation to their own kind, that is, to the ways of the secular world. Then are the sons of light, the believers. And I tell you, learn from this. Make friends for yourself for eternity by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. That is, use material resources as a way to further the work of God. So that when it runs out, they will welcome you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithful in much. And he who is dishonest in a very little thing is also dishonest in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of earthly wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that earthly wealth, which belongs to another, whether God or man, and of which you are a trustee, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will stand devoutly by the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and man, that is, your earthly possessions or anything else you entrust in and rely on instead of God. Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were sneering and ridiculing him. So he said to them, You are the ones who declare yourselves just and upright in the sight of men. But God knows your heart, your thoughts, your desires, your secrets. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the writings of the prophets were proclaimed unto John. Since then, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been and continues to be preached, and everyone tries forcefully to go into it. Yet, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for a single stroke of a letter of the law to fail and become void. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries one who is divorced from their husband becomes an adultery. So now, as we get to unpacking this, a couple of things you should know. 
right? It's a lot here. Okay, but we're here to break this down a bit. Okay, so there's a few words we need to look up before we break this text down. Shrewd, having or showing a clever awareness or resourcefulness, especially in practical manners. It also means having or showing sharp powers of astute. Artful. To be artful is to be clever or skillful, typically in a crafty, cutting way, to be witty in one's dealings with others. Cutting. Having or showing skills in achieving one's end by deceit or invasion. Now, the reason why we are defining these words is because it helps us in our understanding of the text and the motive of the manager. We also see his development, his growth, and his selfishness. As we break down this text, Daniel, you are welcome to comment at any time. Okay? Let me make sure I give you that that leisure so you don't have to be a bystander here. Alright. So verse one or two, right? We learn that there's a report that the manager had been taken advantage of his possessions. Right. And his position by running up huge personal expenses. And as a result, he was on the verge of being fired. Now, before the rich man could actually go through with the firing, he needed evidence. Right. Usually when you accuse somebody, you need evidence. Right. To hold that person accountable. You see, the report was just an accusation. So he requested an audit of the books. Now, the primary objective of an audit of the books is to validate the financial information right the management provides right uh, uh the word is audit by the way audit? audit okay yeah an audit okay so an audit right so you you want to see what's going on right because usually when you're making purchases and you're doing those sort of things you need to see what's being written down that's why you keep record of those things right so that when it's time for tax season and it's time to give an account especially in accountability of what's being paid for and used, you got to see what's up. Which is why I personally like the language used in the message Bible, right? An audit, an audit. That's what Daniel says. As an aside, right? When you look over the landscape of today's history, past celebrities have been swindled out of their money by bad managers and accountants. As you can see, nothing new. Same old experience. Even though this is a story Jesus is telling, I believe this was something that was going on back then just as much as as it is going on right now. Right? So it doesn't matter the time period, the behavior, the accusations, the decisions, the choices that were being made along with managing someone else's money, which is either a rich person or a person who's well off. There's a lot of foolishness going on. So to kind of give you a more in-depth, you know, reality of, how this relates. We're going to bring up eight celebrities who sued their financial managers for mismanaging and stealing their funds. So Daniel's going to read four and I'm going to read four. So I'll let Daniel go first. Sting in 1995. Keith Moore, Sting's financial advisor of 15 years, 
was finally caught for swindling Sting out of $9.8 million. Moore has set up 100 different financial accounts for the singer, carefully siphoning money from each one. Sting was criticized for not noticing that so much of his money was missing. Moore was eventually sentenced to six years in prison. Elton John sued his accountant firm, Print Price Water House Coopers, and his business manager, Andrew Hayden, saying that they had mismanaged approximately $29 million of his tour funds. Unfortunately for Elton John, the court decided there was insufficient evidence to prove the scam. To add insult to injury, the single lost over $10 million in case fees. Pop star Rihanna filed a lawsuit against Burden LLP in 2012 for mismanagement of funds, improper tax filing, and keeping an unfair percentage of profits. She also blamed Burden LLP for not letting her know she was losing money on her 2010 Last Girl on Earth tour. Burden LLP fired back that it was the singer's exuberant spending habits that were actually to blame for the tour's failure, but ended up offering Rihanna a more than $10 million settlement. Patricia Cornwell is a best-selling crime writer that was forced to do something sleuthing into her own fortune management. She sued New York accountant firm Anik Block and Anik Block LLP for financial negligence that cost her and her partner millions of dollars. Cornwell won her case in February 2013 and received $50.9 million. In 1989, Billy Joel filed a $90 million lawsuit against his ex-manager and former brother-in-law, Frank Weber, for committing fraud. This lawsuit opened up more lawsuits against Joel's own lawyers and accounting firm. After a lot of the time in court, Joel walked away with only $8 million. Funny man Ben Stiller found himself in a not-so-funny situation when his financial advisor, Dana Capiccio, started swindling funds. Capiccio ended up taking $250,000 from Stiller, but the actor was lucky enough to get the money back. Galapio allegedly scammed other A-listers, including B-52 singer Fred Schreifler, actor Toby Maguire, and actress Cameron Diaz. Though those cases were never clearly resolved, Capipio served a prison sentence of only three years. Uma Thorman hired Kenneth Starr as her financial advisor, but the star decided to dip into one million of her funds to, su- to support his exotic dancing significance, others instead. Once Thurman found out he was doing more than her taxes, she demanded her money back. She was lucky enough to get it the next day, but only because Starr took funds from other clients' accounts to repay her. He was arrested in May 2010 when the FBI paid him a house call. In 2010, Nicholas Cage sued former business manager Samuel J. Levin and his firm for $20 million, saying they gave him bad financial advice 
and mismanagement of his money. Levin was Kay's financial manager from 2001 to 2008 and had collected millions of dollars in financial management fees. He countersuited for fees Kay's allegedly owed later in 2010. All claims were reportedly dismissed. So, interesting enough, we saw some justice that transpired, right? That's the most important thing. But obviously, we see the mismanagement of, of, of other people's money, especially in them pocketing and trying to create, you know, opportunity for themselves, right? And as you can see, when it comes to money, people can't be trusted. Not even your family sometimes. So, before I move on, is there anything you want to add, Daniel? No, it's just kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's this is the stuff that goes on, right? Money can be a problem solver, but it also could be a problem creator. So, this is what happens. That again. <laughs> it's exactly what goes on. So, in verse 3 and 4, you see the need for reflection, right? So, we're going back to the text, right? In verse 3 to 4, you see the need for reflection. And out of that reflection, there's planning and managing, which is why I took the thought and the process of wanting to help you understand planning and managing. Right? That's why I provided the examples earlier. There's a reality moment. The manager knew he wasn't fit to do manual labor, but I would imagine if he had no choice to survive, he would. Right? Beggars don't get to be choosers in those instances, but... Based upon the story, he obviously identified that maybe he wasn't in physical condition to have to do manual labor. And then, as he said, he was too prideful to actually beg, right? But, you know, given those situations, the circumstances, the things that you say that you're not willing to do, you eventually have to do for survival. So now I want to point to something interesting here. So. The manager goes into brainstorming with his plan. And then all of a sudden, he uses his manager skills when it came to survival. Something he didn't exercise as the manager of the rich man, which I thought was obviously inconvenient and a little too late. Now, when we go to verse 4 and 7, we see this. I know what I would do. So that when I am removed from the management, people who are my master's debtors will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned his master's debtors one by one. And he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of olive oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So as you can see, the manager was smart in actions for survival. Now I want us to look at verse 8 through 10 in the message Bible. And I really find this interpretation to be interesting. Now here's a surprise. The master praised the crook manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in their regard than law-abiding citizens. 
They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right, using every adversity to stimulate you to create survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live, really live, and not complacently just get by on good behavior. Okay, now that's good. That's the message Bible. Now, I want us to look at the middle of verse 8, and I will read this in the Amplified Version. He said, For the sons of this age, the non-believers, are shrewder in relation to their own kind, that is, to the ways of the secular world, than are the sons of the light. The believers, and I tell you, learn from this. Make friends for yourselves for eternity by means of wealth of unrighteousness that is use material resources as a way to further the work for God so that when it runs out, they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. Now, this is interesting, very interesting on so many levels. But before I give my thoughts, I want to give the floor to Daniel. Looking at the message and Bible interpretation and the Amplified Bible interpretation, what are your thoughts in regards to what Jesus has said and what do you think? My favorite line from it was, use every adversity to stimulate you to create survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so that you'll live, really live. And I thought that was... How do I put it? That just like kind of clicked in my head. It's like, oh, so God wants you to look at things for what they really are and to not, you know, be greedy in your pursuit of certain things. And if you want to pursue things, that's fine. But mainly look at what is essential. Understanding what's important is how you plan efficiently. That's what I'm taking away from this. Okay. Well, here's here's my thought, right? First, well, the term streetwise people use in the message bible it's to me to be streetwise is to possess the skills and the attitudes necessary to survival in a difficult or dangerous situation or environment that's how i look at what streets streetwise means and in our present time we would call you know these sorts of people street smarts right now the comparison that's used in the message bible is a law-abiding citizen Right now, law abiding citizen is obvious. The one who always obeys the law and is considered to be good and honest because of this. Right. So the reason why I ask that we look at the message Bible, because I love the terminology here. It's a much more updated reality to a lot of us who prefer modern terms and realistic messaging. Right now, before we look into something stated in the message Bible and express the meaning I want us to to get is that we go back to the amplified version for just a second right verse 8 in the amplified version gives us a much more clear distinction of believers and those who read their bible in comparison to those who put their trust in like worldly knowledge make up their own rules and regulations follow worldly religion self-defining morality that sits well with them right now listen to what the scripture says in the amplified version verse 8 right and i'm gonna read it it says for the sons of this age, the non-believers, are shrewder in relation to their own kind, that is, to the ways of the secular world, than are the sons of light, the believers. Now, I've read, 
already defined shrewd, but I'll do it once more for the context, right? And for the understanding reason, right? Shrewd, having or showing a clever awareness or resourcefulness, especially in practical manners. It also means having or showing sharp powers of astute. So to summarize the message, coming from the Message Bible and the Improvised Bible, is that as children of God, we are the sons of God. And therefore, we act with the mentality to do the right thing. We also are much more lighthearted, and therefore we are considered a bit soft, a bit hesitant to color outside the lines, which is a modern illustration when it comes to how we tend to carry ourselves, okay? However, as the unbeliever, they don't have a post or a clue when it comes to handling things with class or operating in truth. Instead, it comes to how they think, you know, there are no rules. In fact, anything goes, right? There's a lack of love for their enemy. But more importantly, they don't believe they will have to give an account for the behavior and how it affects or destroys their fellow brothers or sisters, you see. Now, I want us to pay attention to what Jesus says, and I have a verse to back up what he's saying for future understanding, right? Jesus says, and I tell you, right? So he's speaking to those who are listening. Learn from this, right? So in every situation, there's always a learning curve. There's always something you can pull out of it, right? My mom always says, eat the meat, throw away the bone. Jesus says, make friends for yourselves, for eternity by means of the wealth of unrighteousness that is used material resources as a way to further the work of God so that when it runs out they will welcome you into the inter- internal dwellings so Jesus wants us to use common sense when it comes to building relationships we live in a secular world where people are ruthless we can't expect those who are from the world to have a heart and to be and to be wise and to be kind and to be generous and to be respectful to you. Now let's look at the Message Bible. And the reason why I'm using the Message Bible is for this interpretation right here. It says, I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right. Using every adversity to stimulate you to create survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live really live and not be complacently just get by on good behavior so jesus is saying use the difficulties the misfortune that the unbeliever will put you through jesus is saying be creative in how you work around difficult people allow it to happen so that you raise your level intellectual maneuverability more importantly jesus is saying i want you to be smart for what is right okay in other words Use this obstacle as a way of building your character and responding appropriately and intelligently. Don't compromise your values and who you are in the midst of this. So two verses I want to use to tie it in here is I want to go to, I think it's Matthew 10, verse 16. And we're going to look at this in the NIV version. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves see we didn't say it jesus said it right read it one more time daniel i am sending you out like sheep 
among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So at this time, Jesus was sending out the disciples to preach the gospel, right? And he's letting them know how you ought to carry yourself. Understand there's a portion in it where he talks about if people don't let you in, shake the dust off your feet as a sign, <laughs> right? So Jesus is letting you know, this is how I want you to act. Now let's go to Galatians 6, 9. We're also going to look at this in the NIV. Let us not become wary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will re- reap a harvest. We do not give up. Yeah, we're going to reap a harvest if we don't give up, right? Great job, Dan. Another thing, right? When you don't allow those certain things to compromise you, Jesus is letting us know. Actually, it was Paul who wrote this. He wants us to understand, don't become weary in doing what is good, right? God means not only to endure in doing good ourselves, but to help others not grow weary. So I believe it's also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, and it says, We earnestly urge you, believers, abolish those who are out of line, the undisciplined, the untruly, the disordered, the unruly. Encourage the timid who lack spiritual courage. Help the spiritually weak. Be very patient with everyone. Always control your temper. Okay? This is what he's saying in regards to how you ought to react to people who are doing you wrong. And in the midst of what I was telling you in the message Bible is that God wants you to use those adversities and those things to help build you up. Right. And in the scripture, I always mention in the book of James, where it says, consider it pure joy. That when you face trials and tribulations. It builds your faith. Right. Consider your pure joy when you face trials and tribulations and know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish his work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If anyone lacks anything, let them ask God who gives generously without finding fault. Right. Use those as opportunities to grow. Okay, let's move on to verses 10 through 13 in Luke. Right. Which is very straightforward. Nothing honestly to go through other than serving two masses is a no, no. Right. And yes, money can be a God to some people. Right. Because of what money can buy and what it can do and what it can create for human experiences. Now, before I go on, is there anything else you want to add, Daniel? No, you're on a road. Keep it going. All right. Let's look at verses 14 through 16. Very telling for several reasons. Right. Daniel, can you read these two verses as a reminder and do it in the Amplified Version? Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, will listen to all these things and were sneering and ridiculing him. So he said to them, You are the ones who declare yourselves just and upright in the sight of men. But God knows your heart, your thoughts, your desires, your secrets. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the writings of the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since then, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been and continues to be preached, and everyone tries forcefully to go into it. Yet, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for a single stroke of a letter of the law to fail and become void. 
Yeah, so the text really speaks for itself here, but I want to add a few things here, right? So in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 10, that Solomon says, Solomon says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless, right? When we go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 5, it says that we should keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said he will never leave you. He will never forsake you, right? We go to Matthew, chapter 6, verse 24. It makes it clear. No one can serve two masters, right? Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is something we read earlier in Luke. And this is what I believe the Pharisees are missing, right? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. For we all have become like one who is ceremonially unclean, like a leaper, and all of our deeds of righteousness are like filthy rags. We all wither and decay like a leaf, and our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing, like the wind takes us away, carrying us far from God's favor towards destruction. Now, I know that's a very harsh scripture, right? Very harsh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very harsh scripture, right? But... The reality is we got to keep that in mind, <laughs> that that's how God could look at us when we get arrogant, we get full of ourselves. And that's the reason why I, I believe wholeheartedly Jesus was laughing when they were sneering at Jesus because of their love of money, right? We, we got we to make sure that we understand that <laughs> our desire for things, as stated earlier, is it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It's nothing wrong with having desires for those things. Just don't let those things to rule you. Just don't let those things become God to you, right? God wants you to enjoy things. And as we said in the previous episodes, we're not here to tell you that God wants you to be rich. And we're not here to say that God wants you to be poor. Whatever hand God dealt you, he wants you to handle it appropriately and with class, right? Like you got some decorum, right? And more importantly, and I'm, I'm going to ruin this for some people, but God actually wants you to use your wealth. To help those who can't. He wants you to use your wealth to actually help people that can't. That's why you're being in those positions. Not for you to squander it all on your possessions and what you want. But as we go back to the verse, he said that too much who is given, much is required. Right? So with all that you have, God's going to ask you, well, what did you do with it? Right? Did you Did you squander it? Did you pour it out on yourself? What did you actually do with the riches that were given to you? Right? That's what God's going to want to know in the end. So I want us to keep that in mind when it comes to us really understanding the purpose of what we have. So don't think anything. Now, one thing I want to go back, and I'm going to read this verse. It says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of earthly wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful to the use of the earthly wealth, which belongs to another, whether God or man, and of which you are entrusted, who will, be, who will give you that which is your own? 
right? That's a, that's that's the real question. With all the riches and the money that you have, how do you choose to handle it? How do you choose to manage it? Right? So, finally, let's look at verse 17 and 18. We won't get into that today. But using the, the, the using the legalities of divorce as a cover for lust is adultery. And using the legalities of marriage as a cover for lust is also adultery. Legalities is using the obligation imposed by the law. So I know Paul said it's better, and this, he says this in First Corinthians, right? It's better to marry than to burn with passion. But in marriage is a commitment. Whatever God sets in motion, no man can separate. Marriage is a very important thing. And hiding behind your lust in a committed relationship is no way to behave. For now, that's all I have to say, right? We're going to end on that. Right, a lot was said today, and if then you have nothing to add, we're gonna finish off with devotion. So to bring this back full circle, I think it was important in terms of planning and managing. Right. Mm-hmm. I think uh, this kind of explains to us what to do when we do reap the rewards of our planning and managing, but um. I think a very big factor that wasn't really mentioned today in planning and managing is kind of the action portion, which is to make sure that you're disciplined and consistent in the plans that you set. And when you are putting things into action, you have to be consistent and you have to be disciplined. And the biggest word that I love that you mentioned today was accountable. You have to take ownership of the decisions and the choices that you make and make sure that you always remember when you have a game plan or when you set something up or you have some type of plan, it's simple in the regards that all you have to do is follow it. And when things get difficult, I believe that is a very good thing to remember. You have a plan already set in motion. Just follow it. Yeah. You got to manage it somehow. You know, compartmentalize things. Don't always look at things from the, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this. But, you know, each thing that you set to be done, do your best in trying to get those things done and stop when you're done, not when you're tired. Mm -hmm. That's all I really have to offer. And as we can see, when the manager was put on stress, when he was going to be fired and he was going to be out in the streets, we saw how convenient he was in learning how to manage based upon his survival. (laughs) right Mm -hmm. the point is we don't want you to get to that point where you're scrambling to then want to be a better manager under those circumstances build those skill sets in the beginning right and hopefully you're you're managing yourself before you call yourself managing other people and you know it's nothing better than being able to manage whatever god gave you and doing well with what you have Right before you get plenty, because trust me, down the line, there might come a point where, and I've learned this as I got older, when I started making more money, I realized that managing, not putting it all in my stomach, you know, meal prepping, you know, not spending all in one place, all those sort of things is what keeps me having money and saving, right? You don't just look at what you have and then you squander it all. But instead, you have to evaluate. And especially now with gas prices shooting up, 
can't just go everywhere I want like I used to. Now I have to manage where I go and if it's if it's worth it or not. You know what I mean? So I think now it's time for devotion. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. That's out of Jeremiah 33 verses 2 through 3 in the NIV version. If you aren't in a season of uncertainty, you'll soon experience one. When life begins to spin out of control, it's natural to worry about the future. You can become attached to certain outcomes and begin asking God for a particular future. Who hasn't struggled with some hard questions for God? When the exact opposite happens. When the prophet Jeremiah confronted uncertainty, the Lord assured him that he could call out and he would answer. Of course, the Lord didn't guarantee that Jeremiah would like the answer he received. Jeremiah wasn't assured of a clear-cut solutions. Perhaps the answers to your prayers could take years or even a lifetime to unfold. Even the times when you think you understand God's ways, you'll find that there were layers beneath your prayers that escaped your attention. Whether or not you want to confront these mysteries, the most important thing is that this verse promises the presence of God in uncertain times. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Here's a small prayer for the week. Lord, I don't know what's happening in my life right now. Things aren't working out the way I expected them to. Help me to trust you during these uncertain times. Guide me and allow me to do my best and everything I do in the come forward week. Watch over me, my friends, my family, my co-workers, and everybody I come in contact with. And allow me to go forth and be fierce. In your holy name we pray, and in Jesus' name we say, Amen. Amen.